Welcome to the Magnificat Podcast. We are an international ministry to Catholic women. Throughout this series, we will pray together, share insights, and hear amazing testimonies, typically from women of faith who have been touched by the power of the Lord in their lives. This is a decidedly Catholic podcast, and in this series, you will hopefully learn more about the Catholic faith, God, the Blessed Mother, and much more. Thanks so much for joining us. Now let's listen to a great program. The first part of a reflection on the topic of holiness. And specifically, we're asking the question, why is it so hard? The movie, A League of Their Own, presents a Hollywood version of the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League during World War II. In one dramatic scene, Dottie Hinson, the best player portrayed by Gina Davis, is torn between playing in their first World Series and returning home to Oregon with her wounded veteran husband. Her priority was family, and she recognized that baseball, after all, is only a game. When challenged by her manager, Jimmy Dugan, played by Tom Hanks, she lamented, it just got too hard. Dugan retorted, it's supposed to be hard. If it wasn't hard, everyone would do it. It's the hard that makes it great. Now, the hard in baseball comes from the unique skill it takes to hit major league pitching or to pitch successfully at a major league level. My friend Walt was a terrific third baseman who played triple-A ball in the Boston Red Sox system. During one spring training, he was brought up to the big team and then went into the batter's box to hit under the watchful eye of his idol, Ted Williams. Afterwards, Walt approached Ted and asked, What do you think, Mr. Williams? Ted shook his head and replied, Slow bat, kid, slow bat. Walt realized that his dream of playing Major League Baseball was over. As good as he played the game, Walt simply lacked the extraordinary hand-eye coordination needed to hit major league pitching. So this brings us to the question, is the heart of holiness similar in that it is the discovery that very few of us are spiritual prodigies, let's say like the canonized saints? The answer to this question is a resounding no. In the first place, there are no spiritual prodigies who have the innate exceptional skills that they can develop into major league holiness. And so we need to be sure of this when Jesus declared, apart from me, you can do nothing. He meant it. 
So in one sense, we are all then spiritual weaklings. And yes, that includes the saints. The marvel of their lives does not rest on how they develop their natural gifts, but on what they allowed God to accomplish in them, left to their own abilities. And we left to our own abilities. We can't even get to heaven, much less become saints. God alone is the master artisan. So, on the one hand, most of us are aware of our spiritual ineptitude. In fact, we probably think that real holiness is as personally unattainable as successfully playing Major League Baseball. Nevertheless, the church affirms all Christians in any state or walk of life are called to the fullness of Christian life and to the perfection of charity. This statement is buttressed by Jesus, who commanded us during the Sermon of the Mountain, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. In this discussion of holiness, the Catechism of the Catholic Church adds, the way of perfection passes by the way of the cross. There is no holiness without renunciation and spiritual battle. So these two themes of renunciation and battle thrust us face to face with the real heart of holiness. It's a lifetime struggle in which we must defeat three unrelenting foes, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The flesh is internal. It's within ourselves. And we're going to focus on this and the second part of this reflection. Today, the emphasis on the persistent enemies that are external, the world and the devil. In the New Testament, the word devil is synonymous with the fallen angel called Satan, which in Hebrew means adversary or accuser. He is diabolos, the one who throws himself across God's work of salvation to obstruct it. During the temptation of Eve, he is described as a cunning reptile. In the book of Revelation, he is depicted as a huge red dragon and the ancient serpent. He is also identified as the evil one and the tempter. St. Paul alerted us that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light in order to deceive vulnerable humans. And finally, Jesus concisely described his character. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks according to his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So the devil is the ruler of this world, which is a domain captive to sin. He is also the prince of demons. 
His deceitful influence is frequently exercised through the world, that is, by those who spread his false values by word and example, because they have wedded themselves to him by mortal sin. Now, this does not imply that all those who have fallen into mortal sin are intentionally the allies of the devil. In most cases, they are hoodwinked through deceit, which is Satan's favorite tactic. The best way to defeat his enticements is to quietly beg God for help. Dear Jesus, this temptation shows the sins I would commit were it not for your help. Sadly, I am capable of any sin. Please be merciful to me, a sinner. If the temptation persists, ignore it and peacefully repeat the same humble prayer. God is incapable of resisting humble prayers. Whereas our first Pope told us, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Then the frustrated devil will soon flee as he recognizes that his temptation is the occasion that brings us closer to God. <clears throat> it is also critical to understand this harsh reality. There is no neutrality for non-combatants in spiritual warfare. Jesus made this explicitly clear when he affirmed, Who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Tragically, Mortal sin is never simply a personal issue that only adversely impacts the perpetrator. It is also a diabolical virus that spreads the spiritual pandemic of error, sin, and death. Ultimately, it fosters an environment that defines evil as good and good as evil, which leads to the unpardonable sin against the Holy Spirit. Because once we have defined good as evil and evil as good, we put ourselves in a situation that what will we repent from? The world identifies the realm of evil that rules the lives of sinful humans and creates a culture of excess, tyranny, and death under the false banner of unbridled freedom. The world hates those who oppose it, and therefore it is to be expected that the world essentially and especially hates faithful Christians because it first hated Jesus. When warning his followers of the world's persecution, Jesus reassured us, be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. The great danger the world poses is found in its making glamorous the allurements that seduce us in the three areas of pride, sensuality, and possessions. These tactics were used successfully against Eve. They subsequently proved victorious against many 
of her children down through the ages. Consider just the following three biblical examples. Cain puffed up with pride, which fed his envy and then drove him to murder his brother. The allure of material possessions seduced Lot to separate from Abraham and settle comfortably in the evil city of Sodom, only to end huddled in a cave overlooking the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, where he was sexually assaulted by his two daughters that he had previously offered to the men of Sodom. David was a man after God's own heart, yet his sensuality made him susceptible to commit adultery with Bathsheba and then murder her husband to hide the evil deed. We are all vulnerable to similar temptations. And thus we have the proverb, there, except for the grace of God, go I. Jesus overcame these three attachments. So we would have the strength to successfully resist them. Regarding Jesus, St. Paul wrote, For we have not a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sinning. And therefore the apostle urged us, Let us then with confidence draw near the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. The devil's temptations lead us to acts of jealousy, evil thoughts, scruples, critically judging others, inflated egos, prejudice, anger, violence, hatred, greed, and envy. The world creates an environment of evil that seeps into our values like breathing Polluted air corrupts our lungs. And therefore, the key to combating the world's evil influence is the correct programming of our thoughts and values. Here, the habit of prayer is uniquely important as it offsets the constant secular bombardment that says, God is irrelevant. Money and power are the things that matter. And in the realm of sexual morality, anything goes with consulting adults. The world either explicitly denied God's existence, or else it just ignores him as if he is irrelevant. The secular world undermines the family and utterly deforms the very concept of marriage. So in thwarting this evil influence, The frequent meditation on the mysteries of the rosary is particularly powerful because it convicts us of the truth of the whole gospel. And so, for example, at his birth in the squalor of the Bethlehem cave, Jesus teaching us the irrelevance of wealth and worldly power. At the marriage feast of Cana, we learn the sacredness of marriage, and are reminded of Mary's admonition, do whatever he tells you. At the foot of the cross, 
we learn the indispensable lesson of God's love for us. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. In the mysteries of Mary's assumption and coronation, we are reassured that we too will one day be bodily assumed into heaven where we will become princes and princesses in the palace of the King of Kings. Prayerfully reading the Bible is a mighty defense against the pernicious false values of this world. Just meditating on the Sermon of the Mount can be life-changing. The New Testament in particular is a marvelous defense against the world's numerous fallacies. Finally, reading the lives of the saints are particularly encouraging because they show us how God can transform those who trust in him. Yes, holiness is hard. The good news is that we all have enough time to achieve it if, if we are willing to be all in as we declare, I am all yours and we mean it. St. Dismas, the good thief, had very little time left in his dissolute life. But then he heard the wonderful words, Today you will be with me in paradise. Wow. Well, why not all of us? Thanks so much for listening to this Magnificat podcast. Have you been touched by our time together? If so, for more information or to find a Magnificat chapter near you, go to our website at magnificat-ministry.org or visit us on social media. We would love to hear from you. You can also email us at magnificatcst at aol.com or call 504-828-MARY, M-A-R-Y. Until the next time, may God bless you.